What's up, everyone? This is Peter Neal from GSP REI, and you're listening to the Real Estate Investing On Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to help both active and passive real estate investors take their real estate investing game to the next level so that you can grow a successful real estate investing business or find out what to look for when you're investing passively in a real estate investment business. Let's get right into it. All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing On Point podcast. I'm here with my partners, Ron Lockhart and Wade Carroll. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Well, that's great. <laughs> so um, what are we going to talk about? There's there's a lot going on. I feel like interest rates has been the theme for the past couple of weeks. And, you know, let's let's stick with that. I feel like that's probably one of the biggest things that's uh, affecting the real estate world and probably one of the biggest questions that uh, comes up a lot with what's going on with interest rates. And uh, what do you think when you get the crystal ball out? What do you think interest rates are going to be in the next uh, couple of weeks, couple of months, that kind of thing? So there's been some some kind of pullback, some relax in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Ron, what's your take? What's causing that? And what do you think is going to happen as we move into 2024? We just had this, we got this question last week on a, a podcast and somebody asked me to make my prediction. So I'll say this. I think it's still too early to tell. I think the economic data has, has, has moved in the right direction. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic. We need to see a couple more quarters of uh, the economic data moving in the right direction to have some sort of a trend. If I was a betting man, I would say we've peaked and that we're going to start to see a slow decline to a certain point by the end of 2024 and, and a leveling off and then kind of what we've seen in the past in a more normal interest rate environment, not the, you know, artificially induced ultra low interest rates, you know, just little moves up, up and down and like in the, in a, in a band of sorts. So I'll, my, my prediction is by the end of 2024, we'll be at around 6.75. That's very yeah. specific. Mark it down. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Very specific. While, while we're talking predictions, Wade, why don't you give us yours? <laughs> well, I, I think Ron and I probably end up in the same place, uh, but maybe for different reasons. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think politics influences the Fed more than more than we think. Uh, and right now, I think that's a good thing as we're approaching a, an election year regardless of the data we're seeing, I, th I think it would be very difficult for the feds to increase it all between now and the, and the election time. Uh, the good news is, as Ron said, that the, the indicators are moving in our favor. So I, I too believe we've peaked, uh, save any calamity that's in front of us. Yeah. If we end up at mid to high sixes in the year, that seems reasonable. I would say that. 
So you bring up a, yeah, keep going. Well, I think the days of, you know, threes, fours, and fives are probably over, at least, you know, for our generation, but the foreseeable future. Well, Wade, yeah. you bring up a good point. I've a lot of investors, operators, uh, my brother's loan officer, uh, many different people have. I've heard this is a common theme now that they feel confident that the White House is going to be pressuring the Fed prior to the election to not be increasing rates. So, Wade, it sounds like you're thinking that's that's probably correct in some way, shape or form. That's what I would agree with, yes. And Ron, you think they'll probably the rates will continue to to kind of pull back a little bit, but maybe for maybe for other reasons you had mentioned you were watching CPI and, and kind of some different metrics and you I mean some of that kind of justifies the uh, the pullback as well. Yeah, well, I mean my rationale is more that if we continue to see this trend with the economic data, it's gonna move with it. Anything's possible with political pressure. You know, you know, I don't know. It, it obviously it'll be very hard to tell if one or the other is the reason for rates moving down. If the economic data continues to support rates moving down, so you know, I think it's open to interpretation, and you know, and I think it's always a possibility for sure. Yeah, you bring up a good point there. So, what do you think with rates? pulling back and i think the overall consensus what rates are starting to pull back a little bit what do you think the effect's going to be in the market real estate market uh short term and in 2024 i think it's going to you know loosen up the the supply a little bit to one extent or another i mean i don't want to keep beating the same drum you know we all have talked about this that we're still severely underbuilt and, you know, there's, there is a historic lack of supply and there is a historic demand right now. So I think it's going to take a while for that to, to filter out. You know, interest rates will certainly help with that. But I think you, you still have a contingent of the, the American population that thinks that three and a half to five percent interest rates are normal. And the reality is that that's not true. I mean, historically, if you look at interest rates, that's extremely low. So I think, you know, people, especially if we start to see rates move down, I think you're going to have some people that are going to bet on them continuing to go down and maybe they'll stay on the sidelines a little bit longer. Um, you know, if, if the data does support bringing them down and, and they start to come down, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens and peeling back the layers and figuring out, you know, why, what, what's, why, whatever is happening is happening. Cause I think there's going to be a lot of factors. Yeah. I think you're seeing people too jumping in on adjustable rate mortgages as well on that bet that they're going to go down to instead of maybe staying on the sidelines. Yeah. And you got people who have been jumping into them more recently. I think the, the number of applications for adjustable rate mortgages last quarter really w was up. Um, so now if you do have interest rates starting to move down and you've got people who got into adjustable rate mortgages, let's say that 30 year fixed, you know, 10 months from now is lower than where their adjustable rate is. 
depending upon whether they have a prepay pre prepayment penalty or not, you know, they'll be refinancing most likely. So I think it's we're we're headed into an interesting time here. I mean, you know, again, we are we are way underbuilt. We've got extremely low supply, high demand. You know, we've got, I think, for a lot of people, uh, uh, an interest rate environment that may be getting better sooner than a lot of people thought. You know, when people start to see doom and gloom, it's amazing, you know, how their mind works and, you know, how they kind of project out, you know, very long term. And then as soon as you start to see a shift, you know, it's it's almost emotional the way they the way they shift as well. Um, so who knows how they're going to react? They may jump right back into the market. People may start selling their houses. I don't know. I, I just don't think it's going to loosen up as much as people think it's going to. I think you make a good so point he, there, Ron. Oh, no, go for it, Wade. I was actually going to line up a question for you. So go well, for he, it. And you, then I got to follow you. You still have all those current homeowners with those three and 4% interest rates. And, and it'll be some time that, before they can even afford to sell their asset and replace it, right? Because that's a pretty steep, even, even if we're back to a 6.7 and you're selling a four, you know, that that's a significant change in a payment. So those people were, will continue to stay on the sidelines as well. So, so you have buyers and sellers sitting on the sidelines while they're watching for very different reasons. Yeah, I think I, agree, I totally agree with you. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I use my own home as an example. I think my interest rate's four and a quarter. You know, that absolutely would factor into any decision I made with this house. If I moved to a different state and bought another house, I'd probably keep this house and run it out. You know? I mean, so that that's a whole nother layer to this. People, just because somebody has to move, that they're going to sell their house. And that's not... That's not the case. A lot of people are keeping their primary residence when they move to a new one. Airbnb and it out. Yeah, but that, that or just running it out to somebody who's looking to move into their market. You, know, you take a you take an area that has a really good school district. It, you know, it has a draw for different reasons. But, I mean, people will come in and they'll pay pretty high rent when they look at what their mortgage payment would be, what the taxes would be to live in that area. So, you know, you've, you're just, you know, that's just bolstering the rental market more. So, again, I, I think just because somebody has to move doesn't mean they're selling their home. So going back to uh, the demand conversation, because, Wade, I had a question for you. I, I think it is, and, and Ron, you kind of poked around this. I think it is a common theme for a market, a certain market maybe to move up or down and then for people to jump on that and kind of blow it up nationwide, you know, like one market in Florida could be heading downwards and then it's like, oh, you know, there's going to be this, you know, epic crash or something like that. Wade, you're in, in the process of due diligence, due diligencing a pretty large NPL trade with assets all over the country. Um, well, how do you take that into consideration and what are you seeing from a kind of a, a local and then nationalized trend with demand uh, across the board? Well, as we were talking earlier, um, when we were due diligencing this, the 2023 tape earlier this year, uh, one of the first things we do is look for active listings because in, in theory, those would be our competition, right? 
the other assets in the neighborhood that are for sale. And it was it was staggering uh, earlier this year. I mean, many times there would be zero. The the active listings were zero in a, in a fairly broad area. And now we're seeing, you know, whatever, six or eight months later, uh, there are definitely more active listings in each in each little neighborhood. Not many, but more. And, and unless they're, you know, outrageously priced where, you, you know, here in the Valley, you see people fishing all summer long. They'll, they'll lob a list price out there that's just crazy. And every once in a while, they, they get a bite. But excluding those, uh, they're still moving. Very, especially sub four hundred thousand. Be that two hundred thousand dollars, three hundred fifty thousand dollars house. Uh, those those days on market are short still. You know, forty five days, and that includes a closing. So, what other uh, real estate related news or topics caught your eye over the last week? Anything else stand out? No, I just honestly, I, I've been seeing more and more articles of late that revolve around a lot of, of what we're talking about now, you know, about the single family space and what's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen with prices, you know, there's still a lot of people I think that are betting or betting the prices are going to come down. And, you know, that may be true in certain markets, but I think across the board, my, my, my guess is that things are, are going to level off and then just, um, start to see more of a, a gradual appreciation, something more normal and what we've seen consistently over you know decades and not you know a period of thirty six months. Um, I think I think we're going to see a more normal environment, well, a new normal, I should say, because we've talked about this a lot in the past. I think post two thousand eight. The, the the residential real estate market as we knew it before it, before 2008, will never be the same um, because institutions have gotten so heavily involved in single family rentals and that's changed the market. So I think we're, we're moving into a new normal, you know, hopefully a more normal, historically normal interest rate environment. I think those demand issues are still going to be there. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that all unfolds. I, my, my bet is that single family is going to come more and more into focus in the coming years. I completely agree with you. I tell that to people all the time. I think over the past couple of years, uh, multifamily has been so hot. A lot of people have graduated up to multifamily and uh, you know the things have changed in that space. The interest rates have had an effect. Uh, they've just the massive amount of new development throughout the country in that space have, has had an effect. And the fact that a lot of these deals and especially in major markets have been traded over and over again over the past couple of years and value has been added in a lot of different ways. I think you're going to start to see a trend eventually back to single family to find good deals and to find value. Uh, and two, if just people watch the demand at the end of the day and and see where is in the real estate space, where is there a lot of demand? Um, I think that's what's brought a lot of people to industrial and outdoor storage and things like that over the past couple of years and flex space. You know, there's been a massive demand since COVID. There were some uh, things that happened that uh, created a lot of demand in that space. So for investors that look for supply and demand and they want something that has 
low supply, high demand, then I would think they'll find their way to single family eventually, right? Yeah. And, you know, and I think you're going to see new markets open up too as we as we evolve into a more decentralized society, so to speak, you know, where more people are working remotely, um, you know, the internet continues to afford new ways to shop all, all the way down to, you know, your, your, your medications, you know, your, anything you get from a drugstore to your groceries, whatever. So you see distribution centers, you know, becoming a, a bigger and bigger focus also from, you know, real estate developers and investors. Yeah. So I think you're going to see some markets open up in, in areas that were not a, not, or that we're not really focused on in the past. You now the next, I think the next five years of real estate are going to be interesting because I think you're going to see some shifts and trends. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Have you all seen? I know we mentioned WeWork uh, earlier in uh, all their commercial office space, but there's also an article in the journal, maybe a week or so. And I evidently this is a thing. I didn't realize that it was, but. Uh, the conversion of office space into apartments. And I guess in, I don't know if this was a report for a year to date, or maybe it was last year, how many units uh, were created from office space into uh, basically multifamily or apartments. There's like 3,700 new units were created from office buildings. Do y'all seeing that in Philadelphia? Yeah, I'm getting breakfast with an investor tomorrow who bought an office building in Exton, and he's looking to turn a couple of the top floors into apartments. So that's definitely uh, definitely going on here. And uh, I remember I went to ULI's uh, kind of forecast meeting last year. So it was for 2023. It was the end of 2022. And when when they talked about what, where they saw the most opportunity, it was uh, it was conversions. It was office to apartment, and um, what was the other one? Hotels, hotels to apartments, and a lot of times I think that's seen as as an opportunity for affordable housing to create affordable housing. Uh, so, but I, I guess it depends on the location and and that kind of stuff as well. So, yeah, we have one hotel, an old. Uh convention center here in town that's being converted right now uh and and that would definitely be affordable house i mean the units are like 400 square feet they're they're tiny but with an office building especially in a major metro area you could obviously be way more creative but of course we don't have that around here so i'm a bit oblivious to it but it makes sense Uh, you'd think the values of these commercial buildings would be crashing right now but uh you probably get a deal from WeWork. Well, there's definitely there's a couple going on right now in Philadelphia, and you know they're also buying the hotels and doing conversions there as well. But you know, you've you take a, a market like Philadelphia that's you know from a from a multifamily or apartment or a condo standpoint, the market's not as strong as it used to be. You know, I think you, you got to have a driver to support that. You know, and, and I do think a lot of those office conversions, the large ones, are really kind of limited to to the metropolitan areas, and that's not solving 
<clears throat> you know, another side of the problem, you know, outside of the cities. Um, it's it's definitely happening. I'm going to be curious to see how that all plays out as well, how successful they are with them. I mean, they got to do something. Commercials in a pretty rough cycle at the moment. Yeah, I would think, too, getting the zoning relief is typically a big part of the challenge uh, in those areas. If, it, if it's in a business district, it might not be zoned to, to have apartments. So they're going to have to get some zoning relief to make that happen. So I think there's a, a number of challenges that go into it. Same with the the redevelopment side of things. Um, so it is an interesting trend to watch. You, you also are seeing industrial developers buying office and uh, turning it into warehouses and that as well. So, uh, and probably more of the suburban type office that you're talking about, Ron, compared to the metropolitan office that maybe apartments would make more sense for those types of deals. Um, so what do you guys think about uh, in in kind of going off of some of the previous conversations we've had? We've talked about, you know, analyzing markets. We've talked about analyzing deals and uh, analyzing and due diligencing, I guess would be a better word, uh, general contractors. Uh, I think a natural progression into that conversation would be talking about uh, tenant screening. So you have the, you got, you got your general contractor, they did the work, the property's ready to be leased. And now you're going to either do it yourself or you're going to work with a uh, an agent to lease the property. But either way, you're going to have to screen the tenant. So this is something I think we see a lot where people have had really bad experiences uh, with, with tenants, you know, kind of nightmare type tenants that have made their... Uh, made their real estate investing journey or real estate investing experience not as fun or, or as profitable as they thought it would maybe be. So what do you guys think? What's your take when it comes to screening tenants, uh, when it comes to finding tenants and then screening them and, uh, you know, pulling the trigger and signing the lease? I'll start with you, Ryan. Well, I'm a big believer in utilizing agents or leasing agents in whatever market you're in you know i think that for what it costs which is typically you know one month's rent um they're a tremendous asset if they're knowledgeable and they know what they're doing so i think you know the first step is is finding that person you know they're to me they're they're your first line of defense you know, they're marketing the property, they're accepting applications, they're doing the initial screenings, the background checks, the credit checks, and they're filtering it down the funnel to you, you know, you get your handful, hopefully your handful of applicants that you're willing to consider. Um, and they're participating in the evaluation of those as well. And then you pass it on to your, you know, if you have somebody internally in your organization, it goes to them and the decisions made there, or it goes to you if you're, you know, a smaller landlord. But I think uh, those agents can be a valuable asset. They can help uh, with a lot of the work. And I think you get it more exposure too when you're trying to market the property. You know, as long as you have your criteria in place as far as what you're willing to accept for a tenant from, you know, an income standpoint, a credit standpoint, on and on down the line, um, I think it all it's all part of that system. Yeah. When I bought my first property, I had uh I had did everything 
from from the tenant uh from the leasing perspective and you know put it online and uh you know would sit there on a saturday or whenever you know you get a call and somebody can pop over and check it out and that i think was half the pain in the butt was having to go and and drive over and show the place or you know maybe sit there in an empty apartment for a couple of hours um, but one thing I will say is from a learning experience, it, it, it's, it is, I, I would definitely advise someone to do that at least once, maybe, maybe uh, and two, not that, you know, working with a, an experienced agent is, and I'm going to tell you a story about that next, but um, I think that doing it yourself and, you know, you, you, you get a feel for people. And I mean, I, I remember one time when I had listed uh, one of the apartments, it was, I probably saw 50, 60 people. So you, you just have like an idea of, you know, who, who, who's the screwball and who's not, you know what I mean? Like from what they're saying and what they're asking and the questions and two, and you see, like, I, I never realized how important closet space was uh, before listing the property and that kind of thing. And maybe that's as a guy, you just maybe don't think about closet space so much unless you got a lot of shoes or something like that. <laughs> but uh for me, it was just, I never thought about it. Uh, same with like, you know, wooden paneling or, you know, appliance or just something that you maybe never thought of that you see, hey, that that's important to the tenants. And that's something that I should factor in, you know, to maybe this property here or to my next one or something like that. So I think there's a lot to learn from being active and being a part of that experience. Um, and then after I did that a couple times, I um, I just was too busy with with work and things like that to really go over and spend hours and do all that kind of stuff. So I ended up working with an agent and <clears throat> she's always had friends that were looking for property. So we didn't even have to put the property on the market. She had people in her network that she was friendly with that she knew. And uh, I've had great experiences that way and, and had some really great tenants that way. So Wade, what's your take? What do you, what's uh, what do you look for when it comes to tenant screening? What do you want to see? And uh, you know what's what, what's worked for you, or what challenges have you had over the years? That kind of thing. Well, they've changed a bit. Um, and Ron, you mentioned uh, uh, credit scores, which back in the day, the assumption was the reason you're a tenant is because you don't have any credit. So if you check credit scores, then you're not approving any any tenants, but, but I've seen that more and more often recently is, uh, they, they have a, a threshold, a requirement, uh, which is, I, I do think is somewhat interesting. Uh, and now back when we were doing this in Houston, uh, we, we had the luxury of, uh, enough assets that we had our own property management in house and we would require, uh, to meet with that potential tenant, whether either at our office or at the property. And one of the things we would do is we would look at their car. And uh, if their car was trashed, then that's a bad sign. If they don't care about their own property, what are they going to care about yours? So that was actually a, an indicator. We had a scorecard and that, that would register. If their car was filthy, uh, that's a, a negative uh, negative mark. But, How are you checking the car? Well, like when they're in the house, one of the other people are out. I mean, when they Look drive up, <laughs> you know, oh, okay. you, you just got to get, in, you got to see inside, right? You got to stick your head in the oh, window. Yeah. Exactly. I never heard that one before, Wade. I like that. That's uh you make a really good point. You know, chances are, if you got a messy car, you got a lot of trash in there and fast food bags and drinks and things like that. 
chances are their house is going to look like that too. And all that brings rodents and all that kind of stuff. So, but, you know, we, I think section eight actually helped quite a bit too. Cause those, uh, as difficult as it is to get on a section eight voucher or to get one, uh, if you start trashing houses, they will kick you off. So I, I do think the threat of, uh, losing section eight is a motivator for, for most people. Absolutely. So Ron, what would you, you kind of said it with the credit checks and uh, criminal background checks and, and things like that, but what would you say, what, what's a list for somebody who's, you know, new to the business or looking for a refresher or something like that? What's the few things that you want to see that you want to look for and, uh, you know, before you accept the tenant? Well, the other thing, and I forgot to mention this, is you know, in combination with the credit score, they have NTN reports, which are specifically made for evaluating rental tenants. And it looks at it's it's their credit score, it's their history. I mean, look, there's non-starters in a lot of when when you start the evaluation. You know, if somebody has a um, an eviction on on record. Or any type of judgment or a repossession of a car or this or that. I mean, there are kind of some no-brainers out there. You want to make sure that they're making, you know, three times the monthly rent. You know, you want to look at their bank account, you know, when when they fill out the personal financial statement and they claim that they have X amount of dollars in a savings or checking account, you know, get bank statements, confirm it. Um, you know, because People run into rough patches and you want to make sure they have some reserves there. You know, things like that. I mean, a lot of it, it, it really is common sense. You know, it's just, I guess people don't think about it sometimes. Um, you know, and then a lot of times you'll get letters that, are, that accompany the application trying to explain you know, something that had happened that might be on their credit report or, you know, a hardship or whatever it may be. You know, and sometimes those are valid, but, you know, in, in an environment like we are in today, you, you're typically going to have multiple applicants. So, you know, you, you really have to remove the emotion from it where you may want to help somebody out. You may feel something tugging at your heartstrings. And I know that that can affect some of us, but you really need to use your business brain when it comes to making your decision. A hundred percent. I, I can like tell most you. Applicants, now, don't they don't they have a line for uh, you to put down your previous landlord if you oh, have yeah. one? You can ask for references, you know, referrals. Yeah, I mean, you know, typically, if there was a bad experience there, you're going to see it on the uh, on the report that they had an eviction. But you certainly can ask for that. Um, I mean, you know, the the credit score, the liquidity, and the income are kind of you know your 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 three starters aside from the background check because you know that tells you a lot. You know, if there's you know criminal activity or something like that, you know, obviously that's a red flag. But you know, you need to take everything and evaluate it. I've never called the previous landlord. I've always gone under the assumption that if these people are a pain in the ass and they want to get rid of them, they're going to tell you they're great. <laughs> I wish they were staying. I, they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sad that they're leaving or they're going to tell you what you want to hear so that they can 
have their problem become your problem. Um, I've never, yeah. I'll tell you this in, in regards to the previous landlord and, and why over the last three years, more, this was more, a, you know, a year ago, you know, those, those first couple, um, couple years, mid pandemic, post pandemic, we had so many letters from other landlords because the tenants were leaving sometimes abruptly and you're at, and you're asking why, well, when, price, when prices were going through the roof, these landlords were selling their homes. So they're, they're kicking people out and selling them. So, you know, you look at it and say, well, you know, why, why did your lease end early? While I was given notice, you know, the landlord was selling the house without fail. I would say 95% of the time where there was a letter from the landlord, it was for, it was for that reason. Cause there was yes. something. Yeah. It could be interpreted as a negative if you're not, if you don't have such a letter. Yeah. Smart. Yeah, I always like just just to meet the person. You know I mean, just to have a conversation. To to Wade's point, you know, what I mean, just kind of having that person to person and and have a conversation. And can they look you in the eye and you know tell you what they do and and uh, just that kind of stuff. You know, what I mean, I think that tells a lot. But to Ron's point, there, I don't. Unfortunately, not everybody has you know that common sense. And, and when it comes to you know, kind of reading a person to see whether or not they think they're going to be the right the right fit. How about after? So say you find the tenant, you know, you think this person fits the bill and this is going to be a good relationship. What do you what do you do after then when it comes to you know checking in every so often? Uh, one thing I've done in the past that I like to do is usually I'll, I'm I used to go and I clean the place myself. So I'd have a bucket and I'd have a bunch of cleaning supplies and things like that. And I would leave that there. And usually on the day that I was, you know, moving a tenant in and giving keys and stuff like that, you know, I'd make it kind of clear, you know, the place is clean and and we'd like to keep it that way. And, you know, we're going to get you started here with the, all the cleaning supplies you need, that kind of thing, kind of to set the precedent, not to mean that they're ever going to clean ever, ever again. And I certainly have had some uh, that haven't. But uh, what's your guys' take? Anything, um, any tricks or, or kind of things that you've done over the years to maybe set the precedent, you know, and, and try to set a certain standard that you look for, you know, as, as they're living in the property, that kind of thing? I want to kind of take a step back because this somewhat ties into this. Wherein I understand the idea behind getting to know the people and the tenants and whatnot. I think it's important to have a buffer between the landlord and the tenant, because if you are not good at setting boundaries, um, it's not going to go well. Um, because people have a, it's like human nature. They'll start to take advantage of that. You know, if they know they can get a hold of you, they are going to call you nonstop. You know, they'll, and it'll at first be for a, a legitimate reason, but then it'll become for every little thing, you know, because they feel like they have a direct line to you. Um, that's why I'm a big proponent of using software and filtering all communication through that software. It creates a boundary. 
Um, you know, so when you talk about, um, you know, setting expectations to one extent or another of how the, the property is going to be treated and how that's all going to go, you know, if you set those boundaries from day one, um, you know, and it should be set forth in the lease too, you know, the expectation of how the property is going to be maintained and let them know that there's going to be, you know, a quarterly visit to the property by the property manager or whoever that may be. I think it's extremely important from day one to just set boundaries and stick to the boundaries. Is that is that normal for you, uh, one, once a quarter inspections? We don't do it that often. We're probably twice a year. Yeah, but, we used to do it twice a year, but but if you're new and you know you're still feeling your way out, I would say every. I mean, it's going to keep keep the tenant on notice. I mean, yeah, you don't have to do it as long as you have the opportunity to do it. Yeah, you know, if your lease is structured properly in most states, you can give 24 no hours notice and come into a property at any time as a landlord. You have the right. To it. We would do that with uh, maintenance calls too. Uh, when we send one of our guys in to look at anything, they are to inspect the place while they're there and report back something's weird or whatever. But I was just going to say, I use, usually will use the maintenance call as an opportunity to, you know, look right. around and, and just kind of see if there's anything going on that, you know, may, maybe would damage the property in the long run or something like that. But ideally, you should, hopefully you're not having maintenance calls on a quarterly basis either. So, so uh, if everything's going well. Um, now, to Ron's point, I, I I agree and I disagree. I think it depends on on the type of person you are. You know what I mean? I, I And it depends on how many properties you have. You know what I mean? I think some people some people want that, you know, you call me, I'm I'm the person I'll get it done. You know what I mean? Like, and, and ideally I'm, I'm in, I'm like that in some sense of the word. You know what I mean? I don't have a property manager. Uh, I want them calling me. And usually I feel like the problem is they don't call you. you know I mean, they have problems and, and they don't call you. They don't reach out to you. And then it's the, you know, so the, the water heater is not working. I'm not getting hot water. Well, when did this start? Yeah, a week and a half ago. And it's just like, well, when, when were you going to say something? Like, why are you just saying something now? And they always call you on Sunday night. And tell you that's the issue. So I always encourage people to call. Yeah. That's another uh, question that we, we wrestled with. When we first started doing our rental units, if there was a maintenance call, we required that the tenant paid for, I think it was like the first $50 or something like that. I don't recall. And after a couple of years of doing that, we realized that they were so cheap. Of course, we, we had pretty low end rental units. So that's understandable. But they would not call because they didn't want to pay the $50. So then if there was a leak under the sink or in leaks were the worst, they, they would ignore the leak because they didn't want to pay the $50. And then you turn a, a minor problem into a major problem over a period of you know months. So we abandoned that. Uh, do, how, how do you do it, Ron, with our current rental units? We do not have in the past, not, with our portfolio, but years ago, we used to have that number at $165. Oh, smokes. <laughs> I was being yeah, but you didn't give any calls at all, right? Oh, well, no, well, what ended up happening was people realized that they needed to take to fix certain things. And, and it actually worked out pretty well, you know, but to your point, Wade, you know, you still had the people that were, were cheap and they didn't want to do anything. And sometimes those leaks became a problem that, 
would you know contribute to deterioration in the property and we don't want that um but you know kind of going back to the to the to the software you know one of the big reasons we want all communication through and you can do this if you have one unit or 50 units through uh the software is there's there's a portal that the tenants can utilize we tell them from the very beginning it's in the lease that all communication has to go through the portal so we have a paper trail of everything so if a tenant decides they want to they want to stop paying rent they don't want to pay rent anymore and you have to take them through the eviction process they can't go back and say well they didn't fix this. They didn't do that. It's all spelled out. You know, this is part of, you know, the the mitigating damages. Um, so we make sure that we have a paper trail of everything. It's known from the beginning. It's in the lease. The communication for maintenance requests are come through the portal. They're, they're accompanied by photos. So we know what we're looking at. So you're also not, when you send somebody out to fix the problem, you're not wasting money sending somebody out to look at it then figuring out what has to be done and then sending more people out to fix it. You have an idea of what you're walking into. And most times you can fix it with one trip, you know, as opposed to two or three trips. Um, so I think their benefit, even if you don't mind dealing with the people, I still think it's important to utilize programs like that because you have a paper trail for everything. And, you know, we're in a pretty litigious world these days and, yeah, you never know what people are going to try and, you know, try to use that information to their advantage. But, you know, if you have the paper trail, um, you can say, look, you know, we, 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 we were never given any maintenance requests. We don't know what they're talking about. Um, so I think it's helpful. Hey, you make a good point there, Ron. Definitely. Um, I think you could probably achieve some of that through text and phone calls as as well. But uh, I definitely think that makes a good good point. And um, yeah, I think it's it just depends on the, the landlord's style. At the end of the day, you know what I mean, like what what kind of a rental portfolio do they want to run? You know what I mean? Do they want it corporate and they want to be a professional landlord or? Do they want to be more of a mom and pop and be laid back and, you know, have them call? I don't care if you call me at 12 o'clock at night or whatever. I think it depends on that person's style. You give yourself 20 more years. You're not going to want to do that. I'm not even talking about me. I don't do that anymore either. I'm I'm just, I just it might know. Not, might not take 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I just know how some people are. You know what I mean? Like just investors that I deal with who, yeah, maybe they're tired <laughs> at this point. That's why they're investing in a fund. But, uh, you know, that they, they, they just like to operate that way. It helps them to sleep at night, that kind of thing. So that's all I'm when saying. We, is, mm -hmm. uh, when we first moved up here, we were renting a house in a, a uh, small neighborhood. There's my maybe 50 other houses in the neighborhood. And uh, so to defend uh, your perspective, uh, Peter, I was getting texts from my landlord and they said, there's a bear in the neighborhood. <laughs> so, so bring all your pets inside and, you know, whatever. And so I appreciated the uh, the personal contact there. Had had she sent me an email, I would have. It would have taken me three days to. <laughs> the dog would have been eaten by, by that point. <laughs> the good news is these platforms you can send text messages through as well. Oh, you can. Okay, just well, so we're clear, it's not just clear. the. You can text through it too. <laughs> Interesting. What, yeah, what so platforms? The ate all my grapes. I have wonderful grape grapevines in the backyard, and they ate them all. 
Oh, oh. <laughs> not not a problem we're having in the suburbs of Philadelphia here. <laughs> that's usually when we see a like there's like a bear in Bucks County or something. That that's like a big big news day right there. Get the vans everyone, out and get the cameras every, on them. Every once in a while you'll get a black bear sighting. Every mm-hmm. once in a while. Yeah, well, you get them up in like the Poconos and stuff. I, I guess they find their way down here somehow. But, but on platforms, Ryan, what would you? What's a suggestion? You know, for a for a platform for somebody who wants to wants to go your route there and uh, you know get everything documented and uh, kind of have have that paper trail. And I, I think too, depending on the tenant, you know, I mean, some tenants they don't want to call you, they don't want to text you. You know, I mean, they would probably appreciate having an online portal they can go into and they don't really have to communicate with anybody. So we've used a number of systems over the years. I think my favorite one now, and and it's good for if you have one unit or if you want to have 500 units, Buildium, I think is excellent. It's pretty user-friendly. You can access tutorials right through the system. Uh, They have something called Buildium Academy. Um, Or if you want to set up a tutorial with their support staff, you can do that as well. I think it's from a residential standpoint, I think it's pretty much one of the best ones out there right now. And and you think it's cost efficient. That that's one of the things I think a lot of landlords yeah, yeah just think they, they, they're they could be just cheaper than the tenant, Wade. You know, they're looking they don't wanna anything's gonna affect the cash flow, that kind of thing. So they don't wanna, you know, get the portal yeah. or that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean it, like it scales with the, your number of doors. But you I think if you have a hundred doors, it's like two hundred dollars a month. I think. Um, I mean, it's it's relatively rel- it's relatively inexpensive. But think about this. Going back to what I was saying about maintenance requests, if they're using the portal, they're sending you pictures in the description of the issue, and you can send somebody somebody out there one time. You may yeah. save three four hundred dollars on that one trip. So, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, I think, I think no matter what you do, you got to get pictures. Now, that's that's standard for me at this stage of the game, depending on like I just had something where the heat wasn't working and I know what the issue is, but obviously you can't take a picture of that. But the um, anything that can be pictured, I always it's so much easier. And then if you're getting somebody over there, like before they get over there, especially if they need a part or anything, you know, material wise or anything like that, it just saves a trip instead of having to go over there, check it out and then run to Home Depot or something like that. It's just going to add to your cost at the end of the day. So I think that is uh, definitely important and good information there, Ron. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we leave it there and uh, we'll pick this up next week and but I think we had some good conversation today around interest rates and some trends in the real estate market. I think Ron's got a bunch of things he's looking forward to watch in the next five years or so. Um, we're going to hold him to some of his predictions there in the near future. So maybe we should have a prediction podcast where we just kind of before 2024, we'll, we'll give out all of our predictions and we should talk about our our goals and kind of predictions for GSP and uh, that kind of stuff as well. So be sure to tune into our, uh, our future podcast as well. We appreciate you joining us today, whether you're listening to us on YouTube or any uh, you're listening to the podcast audio. We appreciate you. So thank you very much. Um, Until next time, I am Peter, Ron, Wade. 
Thank you very much. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing On Point podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us live on one of our virtual meetups. You can find more information on our website at gsprei.com. That's gsprei.com. Thank you again and God bless. We'll look forward to catching you on the next one.